We are diving right back into our uh, series called Bringing uh, Sexy Back, and we've just been taking these last few weeks and talking about and saying, you know, what does God say about our sexuality? Is God as freaked out about it as we are, and, and is it possible that since He invented it that He has some amazing answers and truths uh, for us? And guys, we've read the stats. We did a survey uh, within our church, and when you put all that information together, bottom line comes out to tell us this that in all likelihood there's at least half of us within this room sitting here today who are struggling in this very area of our life, in the area of sexuality. That if we were transparent and honest today, we walked into this room saying, look, I know. I know I'm doing some things that God probably says I shouldn't be doing. I've gone some places with my sexuality that I, I really should not have gone uh, with my uh, sexuality. And, and I'm just hoping that that doesn't come back to roost, that, it, that, that I can navigate this moment, that I can kind of fuzz the lines and live outside of what God has said and, and never hurt anybody, not cause any harm for it. See, the problem is, is this is who I am and this is, this is what I'm doing, but, but my heart is good and I, I, I don't want anybody destroyed and I, I don't want anybody to suffer. So here's what we're hoping. We're hoping that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, that, that what we do on the Internet at night after everybody goes to bed will never come back and never hurt nor harm, that as we flip through the pages of the Playboy that our kids will never find the stash, that as we flirt with the secretary or maybe even have an affair that she'll never know or my wife will never discover what's going on in my life. And deep down within our hearts, what we hope is is that what we do in Vegas, what we do in that private, quiet place when no one's watching, will never come back to affect me in my life. And, you know, if you really stop and think about it, that, that really kind of philosophically what, what the idea he, is here is that, is that if I could just simply navigate my life in boxes, if, if I could compartmentalize who I am and successfully navigate that moment. And so what we do is we say, look, look, here's, here's the family part of my life, and here's the God part of my life, and, 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 and here's the career box of my life. And then there's the box, the Lust Vegas box, uh, the box that, that, that we're hoping that we can keep all those decisions in, all the things that we know are out of bounds and places that we don't belong in. Because the hope is, is that, it, that if I can keep it contained, if I can simply set this box at a safe enough distance from all the rest of the boxes that I care about, my children and my family and my career, and, and if I can contain those decisions in the Las Vegas box, that what happens in Las Vegas will stay in Las Vegas, and no one will be any the wiser and no one will be harmed. So we're just going to ask, does that work? Is it possible to navigate my life in boxes that there's some moral safe zone, some place where all the rules are time out, and I can do whatever I want to do in that box, even though I know that it's disobedient, and I know that God has asked me not to go there, and that if my wife ever discovered or if my husband ever knew that I got on that chat line, they would be crushed. But as long as I keep it in the Lust Vegas box, and as long as no one knows any better, that I'm okay, and it doesn't count against me. Does that work? Is that really a life principle to base my life on? Because here's the deal. If it is, I want to know. 
Because I even as I'm here today as a pastor and as a fellow believer and follower in Jesus Christ, and maybe for some of you that are pre-Jesus and trying to figure God out, if that works, I want to know. If you're telling me that there really is a place I can go, that I can wait late enough at night, that there's a website that I can go to, and it doesn't count, and no one gets hurt, and I can live out of bounds, and it doesn't count against me, sign me up. Because anytime you peek into my box, my Las Vegas box, I can say, no, 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 moral safe zone, freedom. Because what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Does that work? And we're going to spend the rest of the morning just kind of diving into Scripture and asking that question. Is it possible to live my life compartmentalized in boxes and to keep those that I love and the things that I value safe from my bad decisions? And if you have your Bibles this morning, grab them. It's an interesting story that I think absolutely tackles this issue. It's one of those stories in the Bible that you go, why did God put that story in the Bible? Such a weird little story that just kind of pops up out of nowhere. And I believe the reason God included this story in the Bible was exactly to address the thing we're asking today. Can I compartmentalize? Can I box my life? Can what I do in Vegas stay in Vegas? And if you have your Bibles, it's Joshua chapter 7. And if you're not real familiar, if you go to the Old Testament, the front of your Bible, and then you can work to the right, you're going to find this book of Joshua. Matter of fact, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Let me give you some background while you're going there, kind of set the stage. Some of you are going to be familiar with a couple of the details surrounding this story. The children of Israel have been uh, captive uh, in Egypt. Charleston Heston has just showed up and set them free, uh, Moses, and uh, they've done the whole Red Sea thing, they've come across. Uh, if you remember the story, they get to the promised land, and when they look in the promised land, there's the enemies of God there, and it intimidates them, and they pause in the moment. They're frightened, and they choose not to go. And then you remember God says, well, you're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness because you didn't have the faith. Uh, to go in and take the land. They've wandered the 40 years. Moses is off the scene now, and his second-in-command, a guy by the name of Joshua, hence the book, is leading the children of Israel in to take the land. The problem is the enemies are still there. Their forts are still in place. It's going to be a battle to take over the land and to rescue it from the enemies of God. And this is the moment. Oh, okay. Uh, first city. First city on the horizon is a city by the name of Jericho. Jericho is a huge, fortified, massive city with huge walls surrounding the entire city. Matter of fact, if you do a little bit of research on the, the city of Jericho, you find that these walls were so huge, so massive, that you could ride two chariots along the top edge of the wall all the way around the city. In that time, in that place, monstrous. And now the children of Israel, not armed with much more than plowshares, are going to have to go attack the city of Jericho. God says, don't worry, I've got a plan. Here's my battle strategy for the city of Jericho. Ready for this? 
get all the people of Israel, have them march around the city, blow some horns. I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the children of Israel, I'm going, okay, and what is the battle plan part of the battle plan? God says, no, 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 you're going to do that for seven days. On the seventh day, that's the important day, on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times and blow your horns louder. Really? Yeah, that's what we're going to do. And then he says, wait and see what I do next. So sure enough, the children of Israel march around the city of Jericho once a day for seven days, blowing their horns, get to the seventh day, they march around seven times, they blow their horns. And lo and behold, it's as if God reaches down from heaven and pushes the walls of Jericho out. Interesting side note, archaeologists for years and years and years said that's the silliest story. Everybody knows walls don't fall out. I mean, if the army came up and pushed, they'd push in. If there was a storm, it'd push some in and push some out. When they uncovered the ruins of the city of Jericho, anybody want to guess? The walls were all out. The armies of Israel go rushing across the walls, sack the city. And God says to the children of Israel, here's the deal. When you get in, we're going to burn everything except the really good stuff. We're going to save the good stuff. We're going to start the temple building fund. So we want you to round it all up together, save it, temple building fund. Now, this is a little different. You and I have heard stories in Scripture where God said, no, 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 destroy everything. That's not the case here. God says, with the good stuff, round it all up, bring it back to the camp, give it to the leaders. We're going to start the temple building fund with the stuff. There's a guy. There's a guy within the armies of Israel, and his name is Achan. And Achan, as he goes into the city, is going to see some of the stuff. And in his heart, he's going to say, how come I can't have some of the stuff? How come, how come God gets it all? Why can't I have a little bit? And in that moment, he's going to make a decision to keep some of the stuff for himself. Because after all, you ready? What happens in Jericho stays in Jericho. And his story and what he does as he tries to navigate a life in compartments is going to absolutely help you and I navigate this issue for our own lives. So here it is. It's Joshua chapter 7. It's verse 1. Here's what it says. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things, in regard to the pillage, the loot that was supposed to be saved for God. They acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned, burned against Israel. Now, Scripture here doesn't give you and I a whole lot of information about that moment, but you and I know what happened, right? You and I know exactly what went through the mind of Achan as he sat there in that moment looking at the stuff. And here, here's what you got to get. Although Achan is going to stick something different in his box, he's going to stick some idols and a robe and some gold, you get that the principle's the same, right? 
It's exactly what you and I do when we sit there in front of the internet late at night. It's exactly the same thing we do as we thumb through the magazine. It's exactly the same thing that you and I do when we get on the chat room and flirt with somebody who's not our spouse. Because in that moment, here's what we've said in our heart. What happens in this moment, what happens right now when the lights are low and the door is closed, is going to stay in this moment. And as long as no one discovers and as long as no one knows, no one gets hurt. Because after all, what happens in Jericho stays in Jericho. You see, the answer is this. Achan did in that moment exactly what you and I have done in a thousand moments. He starts the discussion. You know what discussion I'm talking about. The that's a dumb rule discussion with himself. I mean, I mean Achan's just saying... I don't think this is fair. I don't think God really considered before he made this a rule. I mean, wouldn't God, if he was really being, why don't we get to have half? Why, why wouldn't God say, hey, this could be good for the economy of Israel. This could help my people. You keep half. Bring half for the temple building fund. Where's fair in this? It's the same thing you and I have done. We said, well, wait a minute. Why is God so hung up about pornography? Wait, dumb rule. Achan has the, if God only understood me, discussion. See, he's sitting there in that moment, he's looking at all this stuff, and he goes, I guarantee you, when God made the rule and said, bring all this stuff, he forgot, he forgot. The camel needs new tires. Tent's got a couple leaks. The kids need braces. The, the reality is, God totally forgot what lousy parents he gave me and all the emotional damage that they've caused in my life. And, 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 and you know what? You know what? I'm looking at this stuff, and here's what I'm thinking. There's just the right amount of stuff here to make it even. Because I've spent my life about five steps behind everybody else, and if I could just have the stuff, if I could just stick this, in my box, I think we'd be good. You and I know what Aiken said. Aiken said, it's not a big deal. I mean, stop and think about all the other stuff. Think about everything else God is getting. I take just this little bit, no big deal. I mean, in comparison, this is a little sin. It's the same thing you and I have said when we said, Boy, if, if God just took into account what my neighbor does in their sexuality, if, 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 if God just knew how they behave and how this is so little. This is so, I mean, I know people. I mean, they're addicted and they're, it's just a little thing. And you know why you and I know the conversation? Because you and I have had that conversation. Every time we waited for the rest of the family to go to bed before we hopped on the computer. You and I have had that conversation every time we reached into our stash of magazines hoping our kids would never find them. You and I have had that conversation with ourselves each time we logged on to the dating website to go meet people who weren't our spouse. 
And you and I have had that conversation every time we drove to the hotel with our secretary. And Aiken in that moment plays this card. What happens in Jericho stays in Jericho. That as long as nobody ever knows, as long as nobody uncovers, then no harm, no foul. And he is desperately, ready, desperately praying that you can live your life in a box and nobody knows. And nobody gets hurt and nobody finds out. An interesting thing happens next. Israel has finished conquering Jericho. For all intents and purposes, Achan has gotten away with it. He's brought the loot back home. And there's this little hamlet. There's this little town next door. And now that the children of Israel have conquered Jericho and they're camped out around it, there's kind of a strategic problem. This little village is, is kind of tucked away off to the side, and it, it's actually in an unfortunate spot. And if the enemies of Israel actually reinforce the city, they could sweep down in around behind. And so the discussion becomes, can we really afford to leave these guys you know, there for very long? And the generals get together, and it's pretty obvious we need to do something about this little town called Ai. we we got to get rid of that, but it's hardly worth bothering, so what do you do? And so they said, well, we'll just send up a small contingency. We'll send up a group. We'll send up a regiment or something, and they'll take care of Ai. And so they send a group of about 3,000 men, which in the context of the million that are Israel, it's, it's just pretty small. And they go to this little town, this little hamlet of Ai. Anybody want to guess what happens? Those farmers, that little village routs the 3,000 of Israel. The 3,000 men of Israel come running back with their tails between their legs. And in the process, you ready for this? 36 men die. 36 wives become widows. 36 families don't have a dad anymore. And Joshua, the leader of Israel, gets on his face before God and goes, God, whoa, 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 what just happened? How's that possible? We just conquered Jericho with barely lifting a finger, and now I send 3,000 to a little farming community, and they get their heads handed to them on a stick. God, do you realize the moment, do you realize, do you realize that if the rest of the towns, if the rest of the enemies of God hear about this, that little Ai routed the armies of Israel. They will band together. They will sweep down upon us. We will be wiped from the face of the earth. God, how could you let this happen? And God says back to Joshua, Joshua, I didn't let this happen. You ready? There's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. And for the first moment in the story, you and I catch the hint that something is oozing out of the box, that, is, that as hard as Achan has tried to live his life in secret, something's oozing 
out of the box. And as desperately as he has tried to hide and contain this, something is oozing out of the box. It's our first hint that maybe life in boxes isn't practical. God says this to Joshua. He says, Josh, here's what you're going to do tomorrow. You're going to line up one representative of all the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm going to point to you and tell you which tribe. And then you're going to line up the heads of all the households within that tribe. And, and you're going to line them up, and I'll tell you which head of household of all those tribes. And then we're going to line up their sons and their daughters and the families that belong to those sons and to those daughters, and then I'll tell you which family. You've already guessed, haven't you? They line up the 12 tribes of Israel, and it comes to Judah. They line up the heads of households, and it's Achan's grandfather. And they line up all the sons and daughters of Achan's grandfather, and it comes down to Achan's family. And in that moment, here's the conversation that happens. It's in verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you've done. Do not hide it from me. And then Achan replied, It's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them, and they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Isn't that interesting? I mean, stop and think about the moment. Here's, here's Achan's version of a box. Achan goes to his tent, and he digs a hole in the middle of his tent, and he buries his sin. He buries the bad decision, covers it over. Isn't it interesting that every single time Achan's wife had to walk in the tent, she had to step over Achan's hole, which is really his version of the box. It's Achan's version of Las Vegas. Isn't it interesting that at night when his children decided to go to sleep and they rolled their bed mats out, his children were sleeping on top of Achan's sin? But you get that in that moment. See, Achan was hoping they would never get touched. Achan was hoping they, they, they would never know. And even though they were there, and he's trying to insulate them. He's trying to spare them. Because look, look, as long as I'm the only one, as long as I'm the only one that knows and I'm the only one. And what Aiken is discovering, what you and I are uncovering, is that life in boxes never stays in boxes. And, and that really in contrast to that, what God would say to you and me is, <laughs> it never was boxes. Y you never were compartments. You can't take your business life and say, no, 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 that's what I do from 8 to 5, and then this is my home life, and that's what I… God said, there's no such thing. There's simply just you. And what you decide and how you behave and what you involve yourself in, it all mixes together in here. It's just you. There aren't compartments. There aren't boxes. And, and so, 
whatever it is that I do in my business life. It's just me. It's all mixed in me. And whatever I do with my friends when we hang out, that's not a separate part of life. That's me. And however I direct my finances and whatever I decide to do with money, that's not a separate issue. That's not some other box. It's the me box. And you can't tell where that part begins and the other part stops. It's all me. Which is why it is so absolutely devastating when I pretend, when I buy the lie, when I live by the mantra that says, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, that, that what I do in my lustfulness and in my sensuality, it doesn't matter because that's, that's a different box. And God would say there are no boxes. And, and when you invite and when you and I allow darkness, when you and I decide to live outside of God's prescription, that is me. And I pour that darkness into my life. And you're ready? And there is no box. There is no hole you can dig that'll hold that separate. It's me. It's interesting what happens next. It's verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver underneath, they took the things from the tent, and they brought those things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all of Israel, and they spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, you ready? Took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the wedge of gold, get ready for this, his sons and his daughters, his cattle and his donkeys, and sheep his tent, and all that he had to the valley, of Achor, the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you this day. And then all Israel stoned him. And after that, they stoned the rest. His daughters, his sons, his donkeys, and his cattle. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. And then the Lord turned his fierce anger, and therefore that place has been called the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble, ever since. Does that bother anybody but me? I mean, I get it, I get it. Stone Achan, stone him. He tried to live his life in boxes. He did exactly what God I stone him. Anybody struggle with the sons and the daughters? Yeah. 
Anybody struggle with the donkeys? I mean, the donkeys didn't do anything, right? I mean, the donkeys of all people, there's, you know. See, I, I, don't, I, I don't know, and theologians have wrestled with this passage for years, and what some have suggested is, hey, maybe, 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 maybe while they were sitting around the family campfire at night, maybe Achan told them what he had done. Maybe Achan said to him, hey, guys, guys, you're all in for a split. We're going to divide this up amongst the family. I don't know. I don't know if they had some sort of complicity in there or not. Here's what I do know. Even if they didn't, 36 good men died because of Achan. 36 widows are trying to figure out how to navigate life because of Achan. 36 families are crying for fathers because of Achan. And here's what I do know. And the sons and daughters of Achan would have never been involved if Achan hadn't brought this home. So here's the lesson. Sin splashes Sin never stays in the hole. Sin never stays in the box. Sin splashes. And when it splashes, it splashes on the innocent. You know that. I guarantee you, every last one of us in this room has felt that in our lives at some point. That someone did something in proximity to you. You had nothing to do with it. You weren't involved, but it splashed on you. And you lived with the pain and you lived with the hurt because here's the answer, sin splashes. When I was getting ready to talk today, I thought, you know what I ought to do? I, I ought to put containers all around this container. And, and those containers should represent the lives of the people we love, the people we hoped would never know, would never be touched by what I had in the box. And I'd take a rock and just huck it down in there and watch the splash, and we could all see a living example of what it means when sin splashes on the innocent. And then I thought, I, I can't do that. I, 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 I couldn't risk the damage that would do. Exactly. And neither can you. My son is four, and, or was four, and my wife made the dreadful mistake of leaving him at home for his father to watch. I do not know what she was thinking. Thankfully, my son survived. It must have been a Saturday because I remember very well flipping through the channels, surfing about five college football games because you can't miss a play, right, guys? Am I telling the truth? You know, this is an important moment in life. You've got to make sure you see the plays. And in the process of that, my son woke up. He comes down the stairs, and he says, Dad, can I have something to eat? And I go, yeah, yeah just a minute, Josh. It's okay. A few months later, Josh says, Dad, can I have some milk? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's almost over. It's almost halftime. Do you ever notice that God gives parents an intuitive sense when disaster is about to happen. You know, it, it's like things are too quiet. Something's wrong. And I turn. I turn and look over my shoulder to see my four-year-old son who has opened the door on the refrigerator and is now using the shelves to climb to the top. He has just gotten to the top and wrapped his fingers around a brand new jug one gallon of milk. 
and he is pulling it toward the edge. My life goes into slow motion. Just no. Can you, you want to hear a life principle I've discovered? When your life goes into slow motion, it's already too late. Josh tumbles back. The gallon of milk hits the ground. I had no idea there was so much milk in a gallon of milk. Tidal waves, tidal waves are rippling across the kitchen. And of course, the milk is going everywhere you don't want. It goes right up over our blue carpet. Goes underneath the cabinets which is the first principle about sin. When it splashes, you don't get to choose who it splashes on. You cannot contain the harm or the hurt. And the very people that you love, the very people that you hoped would never know and would never be touched and would never be wounded are the ones the splash hits. Because what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. I cleaned up the milk, hoping that Lisa would never know. The problem is I did a man's cleanup, <laughs> which you guys, uh, you know what I'm saying. I went to the laundry room. I found a couple dirty towels. pushed them around on the floor with my foot till I couldn't see any more milk. Lisa came home, none the wiser, never knew, till about three weeks later, you would walk into our kitchen and all that milk that went underneath the cabinets, there was an oud de milk. See, that's one of the scary things about sin. It almost always takes a while to show up. So what happens is you and I go, oh, no, 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 I'm fine. See, I did it. <laughs> I went to that Internet site. I, I flirted with that secretary. I looked at the magazine, and nothing happened. God didn't strike me dead. I'm okay. Maybe I've kept it in the box. And the scary part about sin is it almost never shows up in the moment. Scripture says it this way. Look, 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 look. Don't kid yourselves. Whatever a man sows, whatever a woman sows, that will they also reap. It's a great illustration because you notice when the farmer goes out and sows their seeds, he doesn't look over his shoulder and go, wow, look at that, a crop of corn already. See, the truth is it, it takes a while. There's a germination process. And there are some of us who walked in this room today, and you've been sowing seeds of destruction. You've lived recklessly. You've lived way outside the bounds of what God says about your sexuality. And, and you've, you've, been, you've been saying, no, 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 I'm okay, because it's pretty apparent everything's staying inside the box. 
And so you're still sowing seeds and praying for a crop failure. Ain't going to happen. Because what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. There's some of us that are going, wow. If, if this is true, Lynn, if, if what you're saying is, is that there aren't boxes and what I've done has changed me, it's affected me, and it's, it's not contained. And, and if you're telling me that this is going to splash over and hurt people that I, I never wanted hurt, and if you're telling me there's a crop, now what? And here's what you need to hear. Here's what you need to hear loud and clear today if this is you. And you've been living hoping that what happened in Vegas would stay in Vegas and no one would ever know. There's a God. There's a God who forgives. There's a God who heals. There's a God who restores. And I'm not telling you there won't be consequences. I'm not telling you there won't be a price to pay. I'm just saying there's a God who heals. There's a God who's not afraid to get in the box with you and restore. And when you and I invite him there, when you and I give him access to our life, no matter how dark we've made it, there's a God who can change everything for you and me when we live without boxes. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, there are some of us in this room right now who when we came here today, God, the box is already leaking. The splash is already splashing. And we are already, we are feeling the hurt of the decision, the, the unrealistic idea that I can, I can do what I want to do and I can have a moral safe zone, and nobody will get hurt as long as nobody knows. And God, it has absolutely failed and come apart, and now I'm living in the agony of what I've done. There are some of us who walked in this room today, and man, we've, we've got that box of Lust Vegas, and we're pretty sure that no one's going to figure it out. And after what we've talked about together, we're terrified because our heart was never to hurt and destroy. We, we didn't want this to touch our marriage and we didn't want our kids to ever be wounded by this. We, we actually believed that what happened after the lights went dim and what no one knew would never hurt we're terrified of the box we've made there are some of us in this room today whose box has nothing to do with lust or sex we've built a whole different box just like Achan and it's full of pride or it's full of greed or unforgiveness but the reality is it's a box nonetheless and we thought if I could live the rest of my Christian life, if I could live every other area of my life and just keep that box of disobedience. There's no such thing, God. And sin splashes. And we need help. God, help us to be the day 
that we throw away the boxes. In Jesus' precious name, amen.